Welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast, a podcast all about inspiring and encouraging dads and anglers as we wade through fishing, parenting, and faith on the fly. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I'm Caleb Simmons. I'll be joined by my brother, Joshua Simmons, and some other fantastic people here in just a moment. But before we dive into today's episode, we want to thank an episode sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Pigeon River Outfitters. Some of you have heard us talk about Pigeon River Outfitters in our last episode. Uh, They helped us schedule a day of cleanup, the uh, Pigeon River clean up uh, not too long ago. And so we just want to give them a big shout out and let you know that Pigeon River Outfitters is located right here in Canton, North Carolina, right on the banks of the beautiful and clean Pigeon River. If you come to Western North Carolina, make sure and book a trip with them. They offer tubing, kayaks, canoes, and a lot of new inflatable options for all ages. We love floating this section of the river and we think that you will too, whether that's to check out the fishing or whether that's just to hang out with your kids and enjoy tubing and floating down the river. So you can check them out and book your adventure today at pigeonriveroutfitters.com. So make sure to check them out. All right. So we're going to dive into today's episode. We've got a great interview with some of the guys at Davidson River Outfitters. So without further ado, let's meet them and hear a little bit more about their story. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Dads on the Fly this afternoon. And I'm here with my brother, Caleb. And Caleb, we're in a cool spot today, man. We are sitting uh, right here on the water at Davidson River Outfitters right here in Brevard, North Carolina. I guess you would call this Brevard, right? Are we, yeah, are we I, would think, I would think so. Okay. So Brevard, North Carolina. And uh, why don't you tell everybody about our, our special guest in this episode and what we're going to do here, Caleb? Yeah, man, we're excited to be on location, uh, something fun that we get to do every now and then with the podcast, and uh, here at Davidson River Outfitters in Brevard, North Carolina, and we got the opportunity to hang out today with a couple guys. I want to introduce you to the first one real quick, Mr. Jason Marquart, and Jason uh, works here at Davidson River Outfitters, and uh, Jason, tell us a little bit more about what you do here. Yeah, so I spend a lot of time here working the shop, helping people out, choose the right equipment and flies and do that sort of stuff, as well as oversee a lot of our different kind of instruction and marketing opportunities. So I get to do cool things like hang out with you guys and talk about fishing and, you know, expose a whole bunch of really cool people to the sport. That's awesome, man. How long have you uh, been with Davis River Outfitters? I would say in May here, it'll be a year. So I'm really excited. New to the team, not new to fishing, but excited to be here. Sweet. And so before we dive into you, can you talk a little bit about the history of this shop? I know I know it's been here for a while and it, it does a great job. It's got it. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at all the money I could spend in here. And uh, so can you talk a little bit about just the history of the shop and you know, the importance of where it's at and what it means to this area. Absolutely. So we've always kind of been in this Pisgah Forest Brevard area for, you know, the past couple of decades here. Um, and we in our current location here for about the past six years. Uh, we're right here at the entrance to Pisgah National Forest and right on the banks of the Davidson River. Uh, we're positioned kind of right at the top of our private water area and kind of right at the entrance to all our different public water fishing opportunities. So you have to drive past us, whether if, if you want to fish blue lines, if you want to fish the Davidson, if you want to go up to the parkway, where you got to drive past us. So you might as well stop by. Yeah, man, you guys are positioned like right, right in some great trout water. So uh, this is such a cool place, cool place to be. So, some of my favorite trout water, um, I've got a lot of great stories I could tell about this stretch <laughs> right here. Um, the night I threw my, I sat right there at that pizza hut one night when my wife picked me up because I'd thrown my car off a cliff up here. Um, so yeah, there's all <laughs> kinds of fun things I could tell here, but I want to talk more um, 
about the shop, but but first, I want to talk about you, man. How did you get into fly fishing? I know you're not from the area. Yeah, <laughs> not at all. Earlier. Yeah, so I'm originally from Chicago, and you would probably think to yourself, there's not a lot of fly fishing opportunities in Chicago, and you'd be right. Uh, but I was really fortunate that through my local Trout Unlimited chapter and like my dad and some other really awesome fishing mentors, there was always a, a car going to somewhere cool that I could go fishing. Whether it be, you know, in Michigan, fishing on the Pierre Marquette in the Osable or to Wisconsin's Driftless area, there's always always something to do. And I've been, I don't know, I was pretty fortunate to be able to, to tag along most of the time. That's really cool. So how early, how early did you start fishing? Ooh, I probably six or seven years old. I started fly fishing and been fishing. I don't know who knows how long. So that's really cool, man. I love it. You got, yeah. uh, you got a lot of those. We, we talk a lot on our podcast about, uh, mentors and fly fishing and, yeah. you know, like our dad and how, how they, they really help tell our fly fishing story in a lot of ways. And so that's uh, really cool. You have that to kind of, yeah, absolutely. Kind of get you back into it. I would love to talk to him about the Wisconsin Driftless region, but that's not what this episode's about. Cause that, that sounds like a place I want to go really. And, uh, but yeah, so before we, um, tell us a little bit about the shop, uh, what people can, you know, it's not, I think it's a, it's got a great fly tying section. I know you want to talk about that. Uh, but it's also, you've got really something for everybody in here. If you're an experienced angler, if you're a new to the sport, if you want to just catch some, you know, stockfish right here in the hatchery supported section, you guys seem to, to do a great job of serving everybody, correct? Yeah, I would think so. We really pride ourselves in trying to be a, a full-service fly shop, and what that looks like is having that great you know, fly tying selection, an absurd number of flies in the bins that you guys can choose from, rods, reels, and then some conventional gear, too, for bass and trout, uh, some apparel and waders, boots, pretty much everything you need to get outfitted to go fishing we have here, in addition to teaching you how to use it through classes and through guide trips. That's really cool. Yeah, I love. Uh, I was checking out you guys' website uh, not too long ago, and a lot of the classes that you offer. I think that's so good for especially people that are wanting to get new in the sport. So I want to ask you: Have you seen in the last year? You know, we just come out of this pandemic. Uh, I know a lot of people. It, it seems to me that fly fishing, the sport, is really growing. Do you see do you see that here in the shop and in this area? Yeah, I think this past year has been the busiest we've had. And typically, you know, you can kind of divide our season into an on-season and an off-season, and we really haven't experienced that off-season yet. Um, and I think the sport's only going to grow. It can only grow so much, and we're definitely feeling it on our waters a little bit. There's an increased pressure and a lot more people out and about. Um, but, you know, more people in the water means more kind of people looking after the water, hopefully, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, how do we – because this is kind of, I feel like, a hot topic on a, you know, a lot of, amongst a lot of anglers. You know, we, we love introducing new people to the sport. Sure. And we have a lot of people come to us with questions. And obviously, working in a fly shop, I'm sure you get that a lot. A bunch of people want to check it out for the first time. How do you balance that tension of, yeah, we'd love for you to do this, but at the same time, don't, don't get near my water. So, <laughs> I feel like that's something we all kind of have to Absolutely. Balance. And I think the biggest thing is just... It, taking the time to explain to people at no matter what level of angler they are, why we do the things we do, why giving other anglers space is really important or why keeping fish wet is really important because it's those little things that build up over time that I think are going to make the biggest impact instead of, you know, slapping someone on the wrist and, and, you know, being like, don't do this, don't do that. Like it, it's building those habits from the beginning and taking time to explain to people because we have a lot of weird regulations in North Carolina and things like that. And why is this river this way and this river that way? And, and a lot of times people walk away with and feeling empowered and like they want to share that information with somebody else. And then you kind of have this cool cascading effect. That's really neat. I think, uh, I think that's something important for all of us that are, you know, we, like I said, we take a lot of new people out a lot of times and uh, we're so focused on like getting them on a fish. 
that part of our focus needs to be teaching them the why behind why we do what we do, you know, taking care of the water, taking care. We're, we're excited. We're going to be able to participate uh, in some river cleanup this weekend and um, being able to do some things like that to try to hopefully take care of, take care of our area. So I think, I think that's hugely important. Absolutely. Oh, I just want to, you know, I was checking out the website and I wanted him to see if he could talk, man, they, they've got all these instruction options. Yeah. Um, and so I thought it would be cool to let kind of everybody know some different things you got going on. You got a, uh, you got two day school. You got a rod building. I mean, tie, fly tie, fly tying classes, all kinds of stuff. So, can you talk maybe about a few of those or the ones that you know? You, I guess you do them all right here at the shop, or yeah, for the most part. So, a lot of our classes, the intro level classes, are usually happening just here at the shop in our classroom, which is where we're recording right now. It's a pretty cool space. We have you know some different options to kind of try and make it easier for people to learn without necessarily being on the river. And then our we offer a, a two hundred one class, which is kind of aimed at the intermediate angler. And then our two-day school, too, which features a lot of time out in the water. Both those classes are, you know, right here on our private water. So you're kind of guaranteed to be by yourself. You're not going to have worried about people walking in on you. And you can kind of, you know, take that time to learn in a pretty safe spot. Um, our fly tying is another thing I'd like to shout out. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that later on. Uh, but that happens right here, too. And we got some awesome instructors that, that handle a lot of that for us as well. Yeah, we're going to be speaking to one of those instructors here in just a minute. And uh, I'm thinking that these fly tying things may be good for somebody like me, Caleb. Because uh, <laughs> right now, all my fly tying instruction comes from Caleb. And uh, as good as he is, we would not consider him anything near a, near a pro yet. well he's a teacher but in nothing near a pro yet so um looking like you got some you know some 101 just intro to fly tying and then some intermediate fly tying and then you've got uh time flies for the great smoky mountains which is awesome um and those can all be found on your website correct and correct. you just call a shop and, or you sign up online or i would say giving us calls the best way we're still a little bit old school in that regard uh but that way you know Oftentimes, the questions you guys ask as you're, you know, setting up for these classes, we can kind of help to steer you into what the class may fit you best, because um, there a lot of them kind of build on each other in a certain way. Sweet man, and what about uh, these other things here? I'm just looking through. So, uh, if I'm if I'm a say I'm an intermediate angler, not sure, a brand new angler, tell me just a, a great thing for me to come into the shop and do. Like if I want to get better what's what's a great thing i can do as far as which class would you take well i would probably take the fly tying class but you know what would i would say if you're interested in fly tying having some sort of more formal fly tying instruction would be awesome i think the other biggest thing you can do is just come in and chat with the people that are working in the shop that day and because you know we probably fish an embarrassing amount compared to how much we should be fishing and we have a pretty good idea of what's happening in the river and let's say for some reason, you know, fishing nymphs is a really, you know, really hot at this time of year. We're usually probably going to offer some sort of kind of corresponding class or, or clinic or something like that that we can steer you to to kind of step up that specific part of your fishing game. Love it. That's really cool. Anything else about the shop or anything, Joshua, you want to ask uh, before? We're, we're going to give a shout out to the shop here in a little while, a little bit more. Did you want, did, I know we didn't answer this, but shop's been here how long? Do, do you guys know? It's a great know, question. Do answer? Since the early 90s. Early 90s yeah. yeah. So it's been here a while. It's been like a staple in the fly fishing community. Absolutely. In this area for sure. And, uh, you know, it's it's a great shop. We love it. And we're going to talk a little bit now about some blue line fishing. Some yeah, fishing. That's, what I want to ask you. that's where we're going. So, Jason, which is he's from Chicago, 
I'm going to imagine there's probably not a lot of blue limes in Chicago. There, there's not many, not many. <laughs> so how did you get hooked on something me and Caleb love to do, which is tight stream blue line fishing? Yeah, so I've always spent time outside in a couple different forms. Fishing's always been one of them, but you know, riding bikes and hiking and, and rock climbing, just spending time outside has been you know, other ways. And often as you're doing these other sports, you're coming across these little creeks or you're looking at maps and being like, oh, like there's this really cool spot I want to, you know, hike or bike over here. But what's this blue line kind of running through the map here and being able to combine interest and, and kind of tackle some of these, you know, maybe smaller fish, but in more remote areas was something that I, I really took to and really enjoy. Yeah, uh, that's that's Joshua all day long. We can't uh, go walk or hike or uh, dr especially drive. He, he's not allowed to drive anytime we go anywhere anymore because we we drive over a river. We're liable to wreck because he's always thinking if there's fish in there, checking out the window. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're the same way. We, we really got in. You know, we started our – and, you know, I think a lot of fly fishers go through this kind of arc um, of, you know, like I just want to catch every fish, like put me hatchery, I don't care, you know. To then you know I just want to catch big fish to, and, and we've talked about this a lot before I want to catch as many fish as I can uh, we got really into blue lines probably I'd say about two three summers ago um, it became our big I mean I'd say it became our number one passion there for a little bit in the summer whether that's going uh, to the Smoky Mountains National Park whether that's right here in the Pisgah Forest um, you know right off the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway we've just found we talked about this one episode. There's just so much dang water out there. Like there's so much water that we're so blessed and fortunate that wild trout live in. Um, and so we've really fallen in love with that as well. I don't know if you had similar experience or pretty much. Yeah. I kind of grew tired of the, you know, throwing two nymphs under an indicator while watching two other people on either side of me do the same thing yep. and being able to find creeks where it's a really busy day if you see another person yeah and just kind of falling in love with that kind of whole atmosphere and and that style of fishing and fishing lighter rods and different tackle it, it really just appealed to me so that's where i was going with my next question what what's your go-to for a setup when you're blue line fishing my man it's a great question um recently i've been all about the it's a 793 weight from g loomis it's called the imx pro creek um I loved fishing softer rods or anything like that, but as I've become a better caster and I'm fishing stuff that's a little bit faster and I can kind of put that fly exactly where I want it, and it's almost like I feel like I have a little magic wand or something. It's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. So um, do you have a great just blue line story? I mean, for those for people listening to this pod, we talk about it sometimes, you know, if you catch a 12, 14-inch fit, like, that's a monster in a blue line, right? Absolutely. So, so you got a great, like, just blue line fish you remember that stands uh, out? There is one, and there's a, a small creek on the outside of town here, and I was fishing with, you know, two of my really good friends, and we were kind of playing a game we call five cast or a fish. Basically, you get five casts, and you can kind of choose how you want those casts to work. Or you catch a fish, and then you got to trade off to the next person. we got to write this down, because this is how I want to fish with him from now on. Because <laughs> uh, All right, explain this game one more time. Sure, sure, five, sure. Five, what's it called again? What five cast it? or a fish. Five cast or a fish. We're Yeah, let's. I'm taking notes. Go for it. So the first person goes up, and they can choose to put their five casts. If they want to walk in between each one or do five casts in the same spot, they're allowed to do whatever they want or until they catch a fish. And that way, if you have multiple people, it, it keeps it moving because we all have friends that, you know, want to stick in one spot forever or they're, you know, insisting I'm, that... I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Yeah. Go ahead. It's just Sorry. one more drift and I'll have the fish. Uh, so we were playing the game, moving up a creek, and 
I decided that in this little you know piece of pocket water that I needed to you know display my fifth cast. And on that fifth cast, I had probably a, every bit of a 16-inch brown trout eat my fly. That's awesome. And below me were my two friends, kind of over a little drop in the pool. And the fish went right over the drop and then started swimming around and kind of tangling up within my friends that were standing there. Everyone was freaking out, screaming, <laughs> yelling. And eventually we got the fish netted and there's an awesome picture on my, on my phone here. But it's a, it was one I'll remember. It was cool. That's really, really neat. We'll put that we'll, we might put that picture on the pod man just to show everybody that that fish that's awesome yeah um so while you're on that talk about you know a lot of people I, i'm i was thinking about this today i was uh got a couple hours in on the water maybe an hour in on the water right here um before we came down to talk to you guys and uh there i think there's two different kind of anglers and sometimes there's two different when you go out maybe you want to be by yourself but you were talking about fishing with friends yeah me personally Caleb will tell you i'd rather fish with people man because i'm a people person so i i don't really I like. I don't really ever like a long time. I'm kind of weird like that. But but I'd rather fish with people. And so you were talking about fishing with friends, and I, I think it's great that you can fish with friends in that blue line. A lot of people say, "Oh, it's blue line. It's tight. I can't." That's a great way to do it. How how else do you kind of get out with other people on those blue lines? I think it, it all. You kind of have to match your group to the stream. There are some streams that are so tight or so sensitive that having a lot of people in there isn't probably the best thing for that situation. And also choosing your partners wisely, you know, having folks that you don't mind maybe not catching fish or hiking a long way or I getting was born sweaty. With mine, so I didn't get to really choose. I would say you're so in, a, in saying, a unique position, yeah, but <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. No, nah, it's okay. We love fishing together, but it's true though. We we've had to like navigate that a lot as brothers who fish a lot together. Of all right, this is what we're going to do today. We kind of have that talk on the way to the stream, like you know, you're going to take this side, I'll take this side. We'll we'll share. We we tag team holes sometimes, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. You got to have the right relationship with somebody, you know. Fortunately, we're brothers, so we can't just totally disown each other and decide, no, I'm never fishing with him again. I mean, I guess we could, but but we kind of don't. So. <laughs> so fair point. Yeah. Um, well, cool, man. So. Uh, Anything else? What what's your what's your best tip? You know, we're here at your fly shop. Uh, you work with a lot of lot of uh, folks getting into fishing. What's your biggest tip for for those for fishing those blue lines? What what's something that you say maybe a lot of people miss out on um, miss out on fish because they either do or don't do something? I would say there there are two things that really stand out in my mind. The first of which is don't be afraid to fish more than one fly. I think being able to cover different parts of the water column is something that, you know, people associate with larger waters and, you know, blue lines are not exempt from, you know, fishing two flies at once. And I think the other thing is slow down, but keep moving. Don't stop and fish one hole all day, but at the same time you need to cover some distance because those fish aren't going to be everywhere in these smaller streams. They're going to be in the spots that are, you know, best for those fish in that, in that time of year. Yeah. Another thing, those are great. And we, me and Caleb have had to kind of get, as we've evolved as, as fly fishermen and fly anglers, just enjoying where you are like the part where you i mean you live right you go you come to work every day right here and you got the business National Forest right there and it's some of the best water in the world in our opinion we're pretty pretty biased we kind of we're pretty <laughs> we think it's as good as anywhere and we've um i'd like you to speak to this we, we went out west to what's that been a month ago now and we we talked about how we've asked other people this who fished all over the world which i'm sure you guys have uh does that blue line tight line fishing you know the fishing we do around here does does it prepare you for other places some people say we've heard people say that yeah it does like it makes you 
a good angler other places i would think so yeah and i think the biggest thing is just the biggest things i've seen for my blue line fishing is being able to move through a stream and not spook every fish in the stream and also often your first cast is your most important cast in these really small pools so planning my shot taking the shot making it count and often you only get a couple chances at these fish too so making sure that you're calm but quick enough in the hook set and doing things like that i find have been the biggest thing yeah and i don't want to go i don't want to you know not talk about one other thing that you know pops up on your website talk about you haven't talked about any of your guide trips and i know you you guys run a lot of guides out here and you got your own private water and uh wanted to do that and so do that real quick and then i got one other question about about what y'all guys do here in the shop and then we'll uh talk about some more fishing stuff yeah that sounds great so we offer float and wade trips for trout musky and, and primarily smallmouth bass um but pretty much if it's within a couple hours of here and you know it swims we're probably targeting it in some way or fashion and a lot of people think that guide trips are only for really experienced folks or something like that we take people of all abilities um all you know all different levels of accessibility and mobility too so if if you want to go fishing give us a shot and we can probably get you out in the water and if you're local in the area it also looks like they do some some destination trips yeah is that something you guys have been doing for a while absolutely yeah we just wrapped up a trip to argentina not too long ago here and before long we'll be on to, to canada uh down to columbia for some peacock bass and then maybe to chile to kind of chase some trout again so we got we got some different stuff in the works that's awesome man and anything else um new in the shop that's just like wow everybody wants this or what you <laughs> that you could say like you want to come in and get this tomorrow before they run out or i would say it seems that every week there's kind of a new product of the week everyone asks for uh there's a lot of new products coming out from a lot of different companies right now and they're coming in day by day uh so you know keep your eyes peeled but there, there's nothing wrong with you know there's we had a lot of new kind of jig style flies that seem to be really popular too so i would say those are probably the newest hottest thing that people are wanting everybody's all about the jigs man we're uh, we're getting to tie in a lot of those so that's a lot of fun well uh jason this has been great man thanks for filling us in yeah anything thank else you about anything else about the shop you want to let us know about or no i i think a lot of people think fly shops can be intimidating and, and we try really hard to to not be that intimidating and and yeah we, I, we take a lot of pride in that that is so good and i think that's so important that you said that i know when we got our start into fly fishing that was one of the things you know, you'd walk into a shop, a guy might greet you and be like, hey, but then you're like, oh, man, I got to pretend like I know what I'm talking about for a minute. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not here, started. man. But I, I really appreciate that about you guys. You guys seem to be real chill, real down to earth. Uh, just want to be about helping people uh, and especially those that are maybe wanting to get into the, into the sport. Well, I want to give a big shout out because I feel like I did feel like that at first. And now that I've met enough people, I don't feel like that anymore. But I just kind of realized people pretty much early on talking to me no i don't know what i'm talking about but but believe it or not i do catch some fish every now and then um <laughs> but i wanted to uh just give a big big thanks jason for for having us down here man because yeah. I, I walked in one day i think i have been with my kids actually i think i had my kids with me and we were um i was buying some some thread because this was back in my you know well early time days which was what three months ago when i just started <laughs> and uh and uh he, Jason helped me out get some thread, and I think I gave you. A, I think I had a sticker with. Yeah, we got a sticker on the front door. Yeah, I gave you a sticker that day, and uh, and um, you know, you were not kind enough to put it on your front door, and and just you know, checked out our show. And so I want to say thanks, man. We we appreciate folks that you know believe in what we're doing, and we're trying to just encourage dads and anglers to to give back and uh, spend time quality time with people and be present in people's lives. And so I want to thank you for that, and thank you for having us down. And um, 
can't appreciate you enough. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks, Jason. We're going to take a short break, and then uh, we'll be right back with someone else from uh, Davidson River Outfitters, Mr. Jeb Hall. So we're going to take a short break, and we will be right back. Well, while we don't have an update from Joshua's Adventures Behind the Vice, we do want to let everyone know that we are continuing to love Anadromous Fly Company, and they are one of the sponsors for today's episodes. Anadromous Fly Company, your sharpest decision in fly tying tools and scissors. Man, I cannot tell everyone enough how much a Flyco has changed my fly tying game. Having a good pair of scissors makes everything when it comes to tying flies. And so you can check them out at aflyco.com. That's A-F-L-Y-C-O.com. And at checkout, if you put in the discount code DADS20, you will get a 20% discount from them for all of your fly tying tools. Anadromous Fly Company, your sharpest decision in fly tying tools and scissors. And we are back live on location at Davidson River Outfitters here at a beautiful shop in Brevard, North Carolina. Again, listeners, make sure to stop by the shop if you are in town. And uh, if you do it in the month of June, you can use, uh, you can mention Dad's on the Fly and uh, get a little discount when you check out. So make sure to do that. Well, we're coming back with uh, someone else from Davidson River Outfitters, Mr. Jeb Hall. Jeb is a full time fly fishing guide and instructor in Western North Carolina and East Tennessee. here at Davidson River Outfitters. He has fished uh, a lot all over the southeast and uh, even spent some time in some other places in the western hemisphere like Alaska and um, fishing down in the Bahamas. And Jeb is also an author of the book, The Southern Appalachian Fly Guide, and uh, talks a lot about fly fishing and teaches a lot of fly fishing and especially fly tying. So Jeb, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, we're so glad you're here and uh, and hanging out with the dads on the fly. And uh, so we want to spend some time talking to you, man, uh, just a little bit more about. Uh, let's let's dive into first your experience and what got you into fly fishing. Uh, my dad got me into fly fishing. My dad got me into fishing. Period. But fly fishing was just a thing. Like if you want to access, when I was a kid, if you want to access more trout streams and do more things, then you need to be able to fly fish to fish those fly only waters or single hook artificial only waters or the waters in the smokies you needed to be able to fly fish to like be able to fish those streams like you can sure you can fish the streams in the smokies with a single hook spinner or something but they don't really eat those so you need to learn how to fly fish to to fish those things and that was back in the late 80s early 90s it was like when caleb was born uh but uh, sorry, I had to throw that in there as your as your as your birthday. No, nah, he he does not look anywhere like he was fishing then. You know, like for sure. I mean, I was a kid, right? But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you grew up fishing the park. I grew up fishing the park. Yeah, we love the park where we live. We get great access to the park. So, how did you go from fishing the park as a kid, growing up on the park? Man, you've been all over the western hemisphere. I am a social studies teacher i should probably know where that is right i was wondering about his geography skills when he was introducing you there for a minute but uh you've been all over you know this side of the world so how did how did that happen um i always like being outside i didn't want to get a real job um so got out of college and and got a job at diamond brand up here that had a fly shop and i worked oh, no in their worries, fly yeah. shop and i started guiding that same 
same year, and that was 20 years ago when I was 24. So that's awesome, man. And you have been to uh, the Bahamas, spent some time down there, guiding as well. Yeah, I, I didn't guide down there because I'm not Bahamian. So, but I was an operations manager for the Andrew South Fish Lodge on South Andrews Island, which I didn't do a lot of fishing while I was there. I did a lot of running around, losing my hair, which was already coming out. But, but I have to ask this question though, because recently I've gone down the rabbit hole of like, I don't know, just listening to these other podcasts or watching videos about bonefish, and it is. I've always wanted to kind of know this. You've stalked. Appalachian brook trout, right? Like we have, and those wild fish in the park. Is it similar when you stalk in bonefish? Is there any similarities? Or because they've said you are stalking fish, and I've never done it. I don't know if I ever will. Just, just a question. You're definitely stalking fish. It's just different. They're moving. Where a brook trout's just sitting in a pool, and you're trying to sneak up on it. With a bonefish, they're moving fast. They're even like while they're feeding, they're. You know, like they might come up on their tail, but they're cruising pretty fast. And so you got to see them at a way further distance out and then lead them, you know, like trying to figure out where they're going and then like set yourself up for them. So as a man who's kind of, I'm sure you have a favorite, but as they're different, but do you like, do you prefer, obviously you're here. <laughs> so do you prefer these, these trout or is there pros and cons of both i prefer being in the mountains i should say that because okay. i grew up here right and i don't like hot weather and but i do love flats fishing like it's nice it's fun to go visit you don't want to live there <laughs> i'll promise you we, we grew up uh down near the coast of south carolina okay so uh so we moved to the not the flats yeah a little different but uh but still the heat is a lot different down there and uh we've lived in the mountains now i've been here for over 10 years and i don't ever feel like i want to leave that's, so that's uh, why i loved guiding in alaska so much because it was like a perfect temperature the whole time like 50s raining not hot. That's fantastic. So, man, you've been guiding for how many years now? That's been this is my twentieth twentieth year. All right, that's awesome. So, we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of folks listening to the podcast. Uh, a lot of a lot of people new into fly fishing. I, I like to ask our guides that we talk to this question: What's the number one mistake you see fly uh, anglers make? Um, the approach, like wading up the middle of the creek, getting right in the water, not like just like stop look around watch and so instead of like lining up your rod at the car and putting something on go down to the creek and line it up and rig up and as you rig up watch what's going on and then figure out what you want to put on the end of your so so slow down a little bit slow down a little bit and like a lot more observation did you hear that a lot a lot less going for it (laughs) joshua's taking notes over here because uh i have to give him a hard time because so many times we we get to the creek and it's like, whoosh, like bounce in the water. So uh, I have to give them a hard time about that. I'm getting a lot better. Like in the last year, I've gotten a lot better. Even through like the, even through like this podcast, I've gotten better because now I'm maybe trying to shoot a video for Instagram or trying to you know take a better picture of you fishing or or just kind of look around. So I've gotten somewhat better. I'm not maybe there yet. I'm still like wanting to go straight to the water, but I, I am getting a little better. Uh, so. Man, you fish right here in West North Carolina, right here, I'm sure a lot, right here in the Piz National Forest. What uh, what do you love about trout? I like where they live. Cold, clear water, you know, and 
I just love the way the river smells, especially like this time of year, you know, and in the, the early summer, it smells super good. I, and they're just super pretty, and I love, like, watching the insects come off. I like watching them come up. But mostly it's just, like, where you find them. Yeah, so so you do mostly trout guiding, or you guide for muskie, bass? I got for... I got trout and then some bass and a very limited amount of musky fishing. Limited musky. Yes. That's what we're learning that that's kind of most people like, I mean, there's some straight musky guides, but I mean, you I think can, those people have to be a little crazy, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's tolerant. I would say you don't catch a lot. You see them sometimes the people have to be real. Like if they want to, especially if they want to fly fish for them, they need to be like, be pretty adept with a fly rod to make those casts and pretty physically not fit, but strong at least to like throw that thing all day over and over again and fish it properly. Not the, that's not the funnest thing to guide ever. (laughs) I could imagine. And then when you don't catch one, you know, like they're like, you get to the end, it's like, well, we just fished all day. You still got to (laughs) pay. Right? Exactly. And so they don't really like to pay when they don't catch one, but it's like, well. That was your choice to go for muskie. Yeah. Do you ever catch one? (laughs) I don't know. You tell me. It's like, so are trout kind of your favorite species to go after? Um, like personally or guide? Both. Answer that to Bo. What's your favorite? Tra- what's your favorite species to guide for? What's your favorite species to actually fish for? Um, that's kind of tough. I like guiding trout around here. I like smallmouth fishing a lot because I grew up doing both in okay. Bryson City, yeah. right? Um, the smallmouth are definitely a little bit more challenging on a fly. I would say longer casts. So, you know, they're not always, like, the trout feed, are feeding yeah. a lot more. The smallmouth are, you know, they have a window where they feed, and then they're not feeding. And so it's a For little sure. more challenging like that. Um, but the trout, probably to guide, for guiding, you know, because I like tying the flies, and I like seeing if my flies work, and I like seeing if, like, whatever weird thing's going on in my brain is working. <laughs> that's, that's... So, so you mentioned it, and we'll go ahead and start transitioning into that. Uh, I know you teach a lot of fly tying around here as well. Is that correct? I do. And uh, so I just got into tying. I, I started tying a few years ago, but just as a screwing around and have a clue what I was doing, I got serious about it probably in the last year and a half. And uh, you mentioned something that, that is why I tie flies. I like to come up with my – I've never been a creative person before. And now I feel like fly tying has made me creative. Like I like uh, I, I like ex- I like experimenting a lot and like coming up with stuff on my own and being like, hey, I'm going to tweak this fly and try this and see what happens. And uh, you mentioned that a minute ago, like talking about how you like going for trout because you like seeing if there's something that you've tied that you can get a fish to catch. There's just something special about tricking a fish that way. I feel like. Yeah, with the guiding especially because I can teach someone to drift a trout fly properly. The smallmouth flies, I can't necessarily teach them how to like work the fly properly, not in like one sitting at least. But I think the fly tying adds like an element to fishing. Like when you tie your own flies, then it's like what you made trying to fool the fish as opposed to like buying something and going out there and using it. Like it's more, much more intimate, right? And so if you get to where you like... I will only fish my own flies personally, 
you know, like I'll buy some for guiding. I have to. You can't do that much homework. Yeah, that's, uh, but like I will not fish with someone else's fly unless somebody gave me one, like somebody, a friend or something. Caleb made a uh, this year, right? He he made a pact this year that he was only going to fish his flies. Now. We plan to catch some smallies this year, so I don't know how well that's going to work unless he can start tying some of these streamers that I want to fish with. But I can fish with whatever, so it's just him. Like, it doesn't really matter to me. I can fish with anybody's flies, but he said he was going to only fish his own flies. Um, I hope everybody's hearing this, man. You guys are rocking out right here. we got lots of customers in the shop. Mm-hmm. It's look, looking good. Five o'clock closing hour, and you're selling stuff. I love it, man. I want to ask, as a – literally, I've been tying flies for – what are we, in May? So, like, five months, right? What do you say – are the go-to like I would like a go-to starter, dry, and nymph. And I've I've tied some patterns at this point, not a lot, but what do you think, or what do you is able for me to tie without coming down to one of your classes? I mean, I would still like to do that, but but like you know, just what are what are some options besides the University of YouTube that would you know be a great fly? I mean, an elk hair caddis in a variety of sizes, colors. And the schemes, you know, you don't have to tie it with hackle. You can just do CDC underwing, elk air overwing. You can tie it with hackle and then clip the hackle off the bottom. You know, there's you can tie it with different colors of hair, different kinds of hair. It doesn't have to be elk hair. It could be deer hair. It could be whatever, right? But it around here, we don't have, like, our hatches aren't, like, good enough for them to get, like, super focused on some stage in the hatch. Yeah. Right? Like, not in... Western North Carolina. Yeah. And so an elk hair caddis, especially for like all the small stream fishing like you're talking about, like you can tie that in some sort of color variation and size that'll work on any of those streams, right? It can look like a hopper. It can look like a caddis. It can look like a mayfly. It can look like anything. So that, if you're like starting out, I would say that's the dry to tie or a parachute, just learn to tie parachute style mayflies actually thorax done style mayflies that's our next step is to yeah this weekend our goal is to teach him how to tie a parachute post so we're gonna we're gonna record that probably and we might have have to bleep out some of it have you tied (laughs) have you tied a thorax done no he hasn't it's like a parachute but better it always rides wing up and the wing is shaped like a mayfly wing and you can tie it out of whatever so we're gonna have a little class after we record this maybe if you could show us that sure <laughs> I'm in. that's fine uh, that'd be really cool uh, yeah what about a what about a go-to your go-to nymph a go-to go, does to it have to be a straight up somebody. does it have to be a straight up nymph or can it be a wet Sub-sur- fly wet fly subsurface Just fly a soft tackle like a spider if you want to call it yeah. that you know something for an abdomen something for like a little ball of something for a thorax and like a one partridge feather turned around or one starling feather turned around yeah you know like a one turn one and a half turns just enough yeah you don't need much for yeah soft if you tackles. fish those two things anywhere around here and you can wait you know you can add split shot above it or you could put a bead behind mm-hmm. whatever hackle you're using i mean you can pretty much fish any river around here with this that's really cool that's good to think about um so you, you teach fly tying a lot. Uh, like I said, we've been we Josh was still getting into it. I'm still learning and uh, still making a ton of mistakes. And you know the, we've learned a lot from other tires. We've learned a lot from YouTube. Uh, we've learned all kinds of different things. But I still like feel like there's some things we don't get right. What's kind of I asked this you know about guiding and about angling. What's what's the number one mistake you see people making tying the most? 
trying to learn too many patterns at one time. Yeah, that's, bad for that. That's up there, you know, like to get to get something dialed in, you need to tie a whole bunch of them. So maybe buy a a hundred pack of hooks and tie a hundred. That, that's what I did with parachutes. I tied a hundred parachute atoms, a wow. hundred size sixteen parachute atoms. Not like at one sitting, right? Yeah. But I just tied one week. I just tied a hundred parachute atoms until they all started to look a little bit like I wanted them to look. Yeah. I, I know that's my problem. Like I get on, you know, there's all these tires on Instagram now and everything, and you'll scroll and you'll see all the videos and all the pictures of all these awesome flies, and I'm like, and I'll save it, and I'll be like, oh man, I'm gonna tie that. And then next thing I know, I got six flies I want to tie, and none of them look like they should because I'm trying to tie six different flies instead of probably focusing in on one. I mean, one. when you just, it's like, if you've just now started fly tying and you've learned a whip finish and you kind of have an idea of how to put material on a hook, I yeah. would tie a hundred, like, I would sit around and just tie squirmy worms all the time. And when you learn how to dub, tie mops. Yep. And just tie them until they, because when you learn how to fly, tie flies, those probably don't look that great either, right? Yeah. So if you figure out a worm, then you figure out proportions, how to work around the hook with your hands, how to whip finish properly, how to get consistency out of it, how to lay the thread down faster and evenly every time. So, yeah, that's that's good to think about. I mean, you know, we talk. I mean, practice kind of makes perfect. It's an old adage. It makes sense. But uh, I had a coach used to tell me all the time, like it's actually perfect practice that makes perfect. Like you got to actually be doing it right. And so I think doing that over and over again definitely is is important. I've been tying uh, waltz worms lately. I don't know if that's a – I don't know. That doesn't seem like a hard fly. That's why I've been tying it. But I still need practice, so I don't know if that's, like, a legitimate fly yet. But I've, I've been tying them. And uh, I want to take his advice and start tying, like, you know, that one. You're going to teach – somebody's going to teach me how to tie dry, and I'm going to just tie it over and over and over again. So I love it. What would you say – you got tons of days a year, right? Um, yeah, I don't hundreds, even right? – I don't really know my own schedule, know schedule every schedule. week. It's, it's so. crazy, right? So, what joy do you get out of guiding, man? Mm, teaching people how to fish properly, I would say. And then introducing, really introducing people to the greater outdoor world, the environment, and, like, trying to point different stuff out to them, not just, like, how many fish you can catch, right? And, like, showing them the insects, showing them, you know, whatever, the birds, the, you know, the rocks, the everything, like, and just like trying to get people to appreciate the whole picture instead of just like reeling them in. Yeah. It's definitely not all. We talk about that all the time. It's not just about the fish. Like it's almost like the fishing is the, the catalyst for behind what we're actually doing here today. Uh, you, do you ever guide with, with kids or anything like that? You ever have all, kids on your trip? All the time. All the time. All right. So like parents and kids usually? Sometimes. And I've had sometimes parents drop their kids off and then go do something and then take their kids fishing. <laughs> That's like the best babysitting service which is, ever. Like, which is harder. No Actually, now there's some new law in North Carolina that you can't be without a guardian and a kid under a certain age. So oh, okay, I guess that's yeah. over with now. But yeah, I mean, I've done it for a lot of years, you know. Yeah. And so, you take them fishing and like you make it fun for them, right? Absolutely. And a lot of times it's easier, honestly, if like if the dad's into fishing well, that, or something. That's what I was going to ask. So It's like, easier to take them fishing and get them to have fun and like it than to have dad over here, hey, do this, do that. Like, no, you go over there and fish. <laughs> <laughs> I got this, right? I was just about to ask you that. So, you know, with parents fishing with their kids, you have helped guide some trips where that's taken place 
as two dads that are trying to teach our kids how to fish, what what advice would you give us as we're trying to get them into that? Don't don't make them fish long hours unless they're into fishing long hours, right? Don't like don't overdo it. Make it fun. If they want to throw rocks, throw rocks. If they seem like they're bored, catch insects. Walk around, do something fun. Let them splash around in the water, you know, within reason, right? Like if it's super cold and you don't want them getting wet, right? Then maybe don't let them do that. Always bring a spare pair of clothes. They're gonna get wet. They want to get wet. You know, don't get you know, don't get mad at them about that kind of stuff. And like if they're just like if they don't seem that into it, just don't push them harder, right? Just let them let them just enjoy the whole experience, and then they'll keep wanting to go. Right, and even if they never get into it, they'll still like the idea of going, and like the idea of going with you later, and it'll be a positive in their life. I can't right? tell you the amount of people we've had on this podcast that have said, "Let them throw rocks." <laughs> Those exact words, and I think that's so important. We keep coming back to you. what's been nice just in the last you know four or five months since we've had our raft. Um, my ten year old is uh, getting into it more. And I, me and Caleb talked about this on a couple episodes ago. Like, I didn't pressure him at all when he was young. So I've kind of waited. And, like, the last couple times I've taken him, he's finally started to, like, enjoy casting. And the boat has made it – we do short trips when we're waiting or, like, forget. But, like, a boat, he doesn't mind sitting there eating Cheetos or what or Doritos all day. Like, he doesn't mind that, even if he's not fishing. And so that's been a real cool thing for us to take him with us on floats – and see him just enjoy that day, even if he's not catching fish, like what you're saying, and you make it fun for him. And so that's, I mean, we've heard that so many times, so it's just awesome to keep hearing the same thing. I would say the other thing, too, like if it's within the regulations, right, like it's okay to let him spin fish. It's okay to fish, you know, like maybe even fish a little bait if it's within the regulations, like debarb your hooks, be real nice to the fish, let them catch something if they really want to catch something, right? Don't make it harder than it has to be. All right, man, I think it wouldn't be fair if we had you on our pod and talk about you, you have a book. And so we wanted to talk to you a little bit about that book. Yeah, there's some there's some books out there somewhere. Um, <laughs> it's so out, tell that story. It's out of print right now, but if the first edition came out when I was, it's called the Southern Appalachian Fly Guide. It's a full-color guidebook to Western North Carolina, a little bit of East Tennessee, a little bit of South Carolina, a little bit of North Georgia, mostly North Carolina streams. It's got maps and tons of pictures, and it's like a fun coffee table book that you can put in your truck. Um, I would like to get it back into print. That's definitely a hurdle that I'm trying to get over right now. I have a lot of other things going on in life that are like more like self-care, I would say. And so, like, I'm just not, like, when I wrote the first edition of that thing, I had nothing better to do than drive around and take pictures, right? <laughs> I like it. And I'd go kayaking or whatever, and I, you know, I wasn't, like, guiding every single day if I wasn't in Alaska or something, so I had time to do it. Now, I'm, you know, I own a house. I like to garden. I'm trying to mountain bike a lot. You know, when you're in your 40s, you got to exercise more to stay where you want to be fitness-wise, so I just don't feel like I have enough time to, like guide yeah, and then make another printing of the book at like just like in like pressure i don't really like to have to like call people and make them call me back and i just i'm not so, that guy so curious though because you you've written this book uh 
it's got a lot of pictures in it. What was that experience like for you creating the book? Pretty fun. Yeah, pretty fun. I used to hang out at coffee. I used to live in town in Nashville, and I used to hang out at, like, coffee shops and work on it. You know, I would go there early and have breakfast there Yeah. and sit there and, like, you know, work on verbiage. Yeah until like lunch and i would have lunch and then i would leave and i would put it down for the day yeah and that's how i worked it i like it I like, I like, like all winter you know yeah anybody that writes i always like like kind of asking them about their process like what that's like for them because that's something i'm kind of trying to get more into is writing our stories down writing what it is we do down so uh and it's yeah. it's fun i wish i was a little more financially responsible when it first came out i just burned it all on whitewater kayak and all over the place so you know but it's cool to have me say like i wrote a book you know like yeah i think it wouldn't be fair for us to you know do this pod if we didn't ask you you fished all over the this half of the world and uh sure you got some great bonefish stories sure you got some great stories from alaska you you mentioned you mean you wrote a book about it you love this area certain appalachians you're this is your home. Um, we need a fish story, man. Just, you know, maybe one fish story from this area that just, you know, you were hooked into the fish here. And and what, it, what I think sometimes people don't understand that listen to us, um, not necessarily from this area, how special those wild trout are in the park or how special those native brook trout are. And uh, I think they obviously mean something to you because you guide these waters. So a, a wild trout story, huh? Let me think for a second. Because those aren't as glorious as some of my other stories. Um, <laughs> they're not as glorious. They're, no, it's fine. Um, trying to think what's like a really, a really good experience. I mean, I used to, when I was a kid in high school, I used to fish Deep Creek by myself. Like as soon as I was able to drive. That's awesome. I would drive up there after school and fish. Like if it was warm or even in the summer, I would drive up there and like hike over Bumgarner Mountain by myself. Oh, wow and fish and walk out in the dark and step on four million snakes of some sort and there's like bears and hogs and like you know just like totally by myself like 16 years old walking around there get home my mom's freaked out (laughs) like other kids you know they're like driving around like doing they're like cruising the hardy's parking lot or whatever (laughs) i'm like i'm you know like drinking beer that their cousin Bobby bought for him. <laughs> I'm at least just fishing, you know, like all hey, I'm doing is fishing, a lot right? To worry about, yeah. <laughs> so I would say, like, what maybe that's my. Sh- it's like not necessarily a story; it's just an experience, yeah. right? Yeah. Just all like right. A, a lot of just like fishing by myself in the park, and just like, and no one. There's, you know, yeah. in the mid nineties, of it, yeah. During the week, there's no one around, right? Yeah. Like, you're just by yourself, and the fishing is epic if it looks like it has a fish in it it probably had a fish in it and you could fish the dumbest stuff royal trudes humpies love it you know and we fished maxima tippet i mean it was a different world and we used to fish the nanahala at night and fish ridiculous flies palmers and stuff and just catch them i mean just catch the crap out of them that is awesome i love it so cool well yeah this has been great man joshua anything else you want to ask you about before we kind of wrap this up I just want to appreciate the shop for having us in here, man. Um, you know, we got here had a little little dads on the fly welcome sign for us, man. That's like the we've been treated. Look at Jason's just he's he's the man. He's the man. So uh, 
you can't thank you guys enough for having us down. Um, love to get on the water with you sometime. Maybe we can make that happen. And uh, I think it's just a great testament. We we keep hearing just what I'll take away from this episode. I think when I re-listen to it is just, you know, these guys love for this area. One of them grew up here. Uh, one of them from Chicago. And they fall in love with this area. And, and they want to just, you know, give back to people and, and teach them about how cool it is to be right here in Western North Carolina. Yeah, I agree, man. I think uh, I just want to tell you both again, thank you, uh, Jason, Jeb. Thank you guys for being on. And, no uh, problem. Thank you also for being a shop that uh, that does it the right way, we feel like. Uh, you know, the God service that does it the right way that's really about people, uh, that's really about taking care of people and trying to encourage them. Um, it's what we try to do. And uh, using, like I said before, using fishing as kind of a catalyst to be able to do that. So thank you guys for doing that. Well, uh, this has been uh, Jason Jeb with Davidson River Outfitters. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening in. And uh, we'll close out this podcast here in just a moment. Well, thank everyone for listening to episode 41 of Dads on the Fly. What an awesome interview with two great guys from Davidson River Outfitters. And they have been super gracious and wanted to help out all of our listeners. So if you are in the Brevard area, make sure to stop by Davidson River Outfitters. And when you check out, make sure to mention to them Dads on the Fly and that you listen to this episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. And they're going to give you a 10% discount off of any of their items in their store at as well. So make sure to check them out at Davidson River Outfitters in Brevard, North Carolina, an awesome shop and an awesome group of guys down there making it happen in the fly fishing industry. Well, again, thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. If you haven't yet, please leave us a rating or review. Uh, reviews are a way for this podcast to continue to get uh, more and more traction as we just try to share this story of inspiring, encouraging dads and anglers. So you can do that wherever you get your podcast and we very much appreciate it. Well, we're excited for the summer the water is uh, warming up around here so it's changed a little bit of how we do things we've got some exciting episodes headed your way for dads on the fly as well we cannot wait for you to experience it so make sure to follow us on all of our socials on instagram or on facebook and make sure to check out that new website dads on the fly.com and until next time tight lines thank you for listening to this episode of dads on the fly we hope this episode has inspired and encouraged you as a parent or an angler as we wade through the fishing and parenting life on the fly. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dads on the Fly and shoot us a message as we always love to hear from you. If you are interested in needing Dads on the Fly merchandise, you can find it there as well. Send us a message and we'd be happy to supply you with stickers or t-shirts. If you found this podcast helpful or entertaining, please leave a review on Apple Podcast. Until next time, tight lines.